Chapter Thirty Four of From Mud to Mufti by Bruce Barron's Father. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Thirty Four: Visits to Shelled Areas, Salvation Army Canteen, A Brewery Billet, An Omen. One cannot recount every episode which befalls in times so varied and full as these. My visits on all fronts have led to so many adventures and afterthoughts that the length of a book is barely space enough in which to fit them. But these chapters of mine are merely intended to pick out the salient features, and so I will not enumerate a lot of little incidents which happened on this front, but go ahead with an account of a visit to quite another part of the American line. Afterwards I shall tell of my last billet in the war, and how I saw in it a big omen which I correctly interpreted as foreshadowing an early termination to my war wanderings. One day I saw a chance of visiting a sector in which reposed much artillery. I took the chance and went with an officer in a car. We passed through many places of interest, towns whose names I had seen on maps and which had always pricked up my imagination. Nancy, Toul, Luneville were on the route, and I spent a few hours in each place. Luneville attracted me. It wasn't so very badly knocked about, and the town was very reminiscent of historic interest. Stanislaus, the king of Poland, used to live around here, apparently preferring it to Poland. From photographs and accounts of that country I see his wisdom. We went to Baccarat, famous as everybody knows for shove halfpenny and other gambling attractions. We also paid a short visit to Vittel, the famous watering place where I walked through miles of deserted but beautiful pump-room gardens. The artillery bunch that I went to see were right up at the front line. They were actively in the war, and this fact became painfully noticeable before I left. We entered a completely ruined village, hid the car, and proceeded to the battery colonel's house. Here we sat and talked for a good while, and then he took us round the sights. What a mess! The whole place was nothing but a pile of blackened bricks and mud. We saw the punctured tower of the old church, and went to look through a crack in a mangled-up house at the German positions. Whilst there, the old, familiar gurgling whistle sounded in the air, and was followed by a cloud of dust and earth flying upwards. A shell had burst down the roads, and we knew that the Germans had started their daily annoyance. We went back into a barn where a group of American soldiers were busy staring down the road. As we looked, another shell came over and landed on the road. Out of the ensuing cloud of dust and smoke shot a motor bicycle. A dispatch rider had just missed the explosion. He motored past us totally unconcerned and went on his way. The colonel thought it inadvisable for us to move away until this riot had subsided, and I mentally conjured up a vision of what would happen if one of these shells hit our car, which it easily might. We retired to a sandbag dugout, the colonel's headquarters, and had a smoke. Whilst there, the Germans endeavored to drop shells in as many unpleasant places as possible. But in about an hour, the firing ceased. This was our opportunity, so we got out the car and motored to Beauvais, a little village not far away. Near here, we began to feel mighty hungry, so the allurements of a roadside Salvation Army canteen held us tight. We halted at this canteen, which we found had been established in an old shell-shattered barn. A large tarpaulin formed the roof and here and there a hole in it let the bright daylight stream through down on the heads of a crowd of American doughboys who were resting from their labors. They were either eating, playing cards, or lying around smoking, 
and it struck me as a weird scene. The tarpaulin and the patches of sunlight striking their cowboy hats and sunburnt faces gave a beautiful effect of light and shade. At the end of this room some girls were frying eggs and making toast and coffee. It was such a human scene, and I could not help admiring the courage of these Salvation Army girls living up at such a place and working as they were doing. What a terror an American soldier is for eggs. I saw a plate containing a dozen fried eggs and found on inquiry that they were all for one man. Those hens around there must have been doing overtime for many months now. I took away many pleasant recollections of that scene. The tired, strong soldiers in their muddy clothes and rough felt hats, the girls working away for their comfort such as it could be under such surroundings. We all had fried eggs and coffee and very good they were. Feeling much better after this scratch meal, we started on our return to the ancient dingy borough of Neufchateau. Towards the end of my visit, I again went to the officers' club. I turned to this as a welcome relief from the chilly horrors of my hotel. On this occasion, I was dining with Mr. Floyd Gibbons of the Chicago Tribune. As we left the place together late that night, he asked me where I was staying. I confessed to my hotel. He... An open-hearted companion in my misfortune suggested my coming for a couple of nights to his place. He had, it appeared, discovered a peach in the way of billets, an old brewery at the far end of the town. Of course, no beer in it, but a few rooms looked after by the wife of the manager who was away fighting somewhere. We reached the place and Gibbons took me up to the rooms he had got hold of. Very nice, too, and a hundred percent advance on that hotel. There were two chambers, one leading out of the other, with two beds in the inner one. I had one bed, he had the other, and next morning, bacon and eggs. My first decent breakfast since arrival. Gibbons had to go off somewhere that day whilst I drew hard at sketches till the evening, when following my usual custom I went round seeing what I could. These prowls on my own in Newport, Ypres, Verdun, Udine, Neufchateau, etc., have been perhaps the least painful parts of the war for me. That night again I went to the club, and there got a message that Gibbons would not be at dinner, but that he would go straight to the brewery billets as he would be back late. Somehow or other I got enveloped in a very convivial evening. It was my last prior to my return to England, and it's a curious thing how one's last evening at a place always seems to be the best. It was very late when I emerged into the darkness and plodded off to the brewery. Feeling sure that Gibbons would probably be in bed and have left the door open, I went along whistling and reveling in the joys of my return towards England on the morrow. A good night's rest, I thought, then every hour will bring me nearer civilization and good old Angleterre. I arrived at the brewery. All was dark and still. The huge and double doors of the yard were shut. I had forgotten about these doors, but didn't regard them as an unsurmountable barrier as I felt sure there must be a small side door somewhere that was open. So I didn't worry, but looked casually for the side door. I looked, I groped, I scratched, and then the truth in all its chilly horror dawned on me. I was locked out, locked out of a brewery at midnight. I stood, silent and still, under the moonlight, coupling other words beginning with B to the brewery. What the blank, why the blank, etc. One doesn't expect to be locked out of a brewery under the moonlight at midnight. I had a sort of feeling that something romantic ought to happen. 
A lattice should open somewhere above one's head, and a pale, delicate hand drop a little scented note with a seal on it, a momentary light in her window, a rustle somewhere in the shadows, and Madeline is beside you. But no, this was just a cold, dark brewery hermetically sealed. I began at last to be practical. I searched the brewery's outer defenses for the least crack that would permit of my getting into the yard and thus reach the door of the house. Finding nothing that would help me, I decided to climb the wall. There was a dark, narrow passage along one side of the left-hand wall dividing the brewery from a private house. I entered this passage and kicked against some projecting woodsheds which I hadn't seen. Looking upwards, I saw the tiled top of the yard wall grim and clear against the moonlit sky. I began to climb up these wooden outhouses. I got on the roof, but slipping removed most of the skin from my left hand and allowed a leg with a military top boot on to crash through a window covered with wire netting. Then what a tornado! The sheds were filled with rabbits and hens, which till then had presumably been paralyzed by fright into silence. The top boot broke the spell. A wild scratching scamper mixed with hysterical clucking of terrified hens broke the still night air and I lay dumbfounded on the tiled roof about two yards from the top of the brewery wall. A lattice did open now, and a gnarled and twisted brown hand gesticulated wildly in emphasizing a barrage of unintelligible French, which was hurled out of the window. When the first furious blast was over, I, sitting on my tiled roof, endeavored to instill common understanding into this proud possessor of hens and rabbits. Short gaps in his speeches, when he was pausing for breath, enabled me to get quick, jerky little conversational stabs at him, and ultimately one of these got home. He at last understood that I was an officer who lived in the brewery and had got locked out. His grizzled head disappeared, and presently I heard the door key of his house turn, and he came outside. He wasn't at all annoyed now, but opened the side door of the brewery yard. I thanked him and entered. At last! Time about half past one. I shall soon reach my bed, and tomorrow I have to get up early to drive off to Gondricourt on my way back to England, I thought to myself. I stood for a few moments outside the door of the house on some stone steps, moonlight and stillness flooding the large yard of the deserted brewery. An old wagon and an empty cask or two stood in the shadows of an open shed. Here I am, I thought, in 1918 standing in a brewery in Alsace, far, far away from the spot where I first started in the war. I thought of all the host of things that I had done and seen since those early days. As I thought on these things, I suddenly remembered that my very first billet in the war had been a brewery. The old deserted brewery at Nieppe, near Armentieres. What an omen, I thought. My first billet a brewery, and now a brewery again. Did it mean that this was to be my last war billet? It did. End of chapter 34. Recording by Philip Gould.